Welcome to Israel Week in Review. I'm your host, Ben Ronsman. As some of you may know, this program initially started out as an audio podcast. After taking a bit of a hiatus from production, we've decided to produce a regular video series available on YouTube. If you enjoy the program, please like and subscribe. This will help our channel grow and prosper and allow us to bring you additional content. For those of you who enjoy the podcast format, we will continue to make this program available wherever quality podcasts are found. This includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. This program is a weekly recap of the news from Israel and the global Jewish community. Stay tuned for our upcoming deep dives, providing thoughtful analysis, exploring politics, geopolitics, history, culture, and more. In approximately 15 minutes per week, you can stay informed of events impacting Israel and the broader Jewish world. And now for our first story. Israel is once again headed towards elections in November. As that great American sage Yogi Berra once said, it's deja vu all over again. Israelis are returning to the polling booths for an astounding fifth time in under four years. But why have Israelis been unable to cobble together a stable government? In short, the turmoil roiling Israeli politics is in large part due to the controversy surrounding one man, Benjamin Netanyahu. Love him or hate him, you have to give the man his due. He's Israel's longest serving prime minister, serving over 12 years in office. This is even longer than David Ben-Gurion, the founding leader of the state. Netanyahu has been a formidable presence in Israeli politics for decades, and even many of his critics will concede that he has served as a powerful global advocate and representative of the Jewish state. His place in Israeli history is secure. It is difficult to imagine another Israeli prime minister who could have so successfully and directly opposed the policies of an American president when those actions were viewed as an existential threat to the security of the state of Israel. Remember that despite Israel's technological and military prowess, the country's greatest geopolitical asset is its close alliance with the United States. This took guts and finesse. It must be remembered that when the Obama administration signed the JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, popularly known as the Iran Deal, it was nearly universally considered catastrophic within the Israeli security establishment. There was no right-left divide in Israel on this issue. Netanyahu strenuously opposed the Iran deal brokered by the Obama administration. He went so far as to speak to a joint session of the U.S. Congress and push back at the Obama administration for what he viewed as a deeply, deeply dangerous, even existentially dangerous Iran deal. The optics of an Israeli prime minister receiving standing ovation after standing ovation from most Republicans and many Democrats wary of the deal themselves was seen as a major embarrassment to the administration. No Israeli prime minister had ever done anything quite like it. Sure, there had been tensions time and again between the two parties, but an Israeli prime minister received in this manner by a joint session of Congress had never been done before. For many on the American left, Netanyahu was increasingly viewed with suspicion. After the election of Donald Trump, Netanyahu developed a famously warm relationship with the polarizing American president. And the Manichaean mindset of many American leftists, any association with Trump was considered irredeemably evil. Netanyahu began to be viewed as something of an Israeli Republican. For leftist opinion leaders in the American media, but I digress, Netanyahu's embrace of Trump was unforgivable. The fact remains that any Israeli prime minister would have been incredibly grateful for the remarkable Middle Eastern initiatives put forward by the Trump administration. However you feel about Trump, even if you believe that Trump's presence in American politics contributed to political polarization and threatened democratic norms and institutions, no American president since Harry Truman 
has done more for the Jewish state. During the Trump administration, Israel achieved diplomatic successes that were simply unparalleled. The Abraham Accords were a historic achievement. Previous generations of Jews would have viewed the peace deals with the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and Morocco as almost messianic. Israel finally seemed to be on the cusp of genuinely integrating into the region. The warmth of the peace, with the UAE in particular, could not have happened without the tacit approval of Saudi Arabia. The trade, technology, and cultural exchanges bound up in this agreement were substantively different than anything that had ever happened before. Moreover, a new security infrastructure was put into motion when the previous American administration removed Israel from the U.S.-European command and placed it into CENTCOM. Now, for those of you a bit hazy on the details, the Pentagon has split the globe up into different zones. Within those zones, America and its allies have built a national security infrastructure that protects participating allied countries and integrates their militaries into the American global defense structure. It is this post-war defense architecture that built a democratic Europe, Japan, and Korea, and has facilitated unprecedented economic growth. When Israel was a member of the U.S. European Command, it was always an odd duck. The geography and strategic threats faced by Israel rarely aligned with America's European allies. On the other hand, CENTCOM is composed of countries of the Middle East. The idea of Israel joining this group of countries seemed laughable only a few short years ago. That has all changed. In large part, the fear of an aggressive Iran fighting proxy wars throughout the region has caused America's Arab allies to reassess their national security priorities. While formal de mutual defense pact has not yet been realized, the Arab countries of the Gulf, as well as Egypt, are realigning their national security strategies, partnerships, and postures. A Middle East Air Defense Alliance, some have dubbed this grouping MEED, is very much becoming a reality. For those who care deeply about the state of Israel, this is heartwarming news, and whatever your opinions about Netanyahu, these developments occurred under his watch. But with all these accomplishments under his belt, why has Netanyahu become such a polarizing figure within Israeli politics? Quite simply, he has been there a very long time and over the years he's alienated many people. What outside observers often do not understand is that it is not Israel's moribund left wing that has been preventing a stable Netanyahu-led government from taking shape. Yes, Israel's largely ineffectual left opposes him, but it is the opposition of many on the right that has been the real stumbling block to forming a government. It must be said that Israel is today a primarily center-right country. In the often confusing cast of characters and political parties that constitute Israeli politics, many of Netanyahu's most strident critics are former allies associated with the center-right and right. Politicians such as Gidon Saar, former Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, Ayelet Sheked, Avigdor Lieberman, and Zev Elkin were all at one time or another close allies of Netanyahu. The uncomfortable truth is that despite his successes, Netanyahu's style of leadership involved actively suppressing talented and charismatic politicians on the right that he viewed as potential political threats. In recent years, Netanyahu has generally preferred surrounding himself with second-rate politicians and sycophants who understand that their political fortunes are dependent on him. Netanyahu prefers to work with people who understand their limitations. So while Israeli political deadlock seems intractable, the fact remains that had Netanyahu resigned after, let's say, the third election in recent years, a very robust center-right government could have been formed with excellent national security credentials. It has led many on the right to question whether they are loyal to a political party or to a political personality. Some segments of the center-right and right cannot justify the instability and seemingly endless elections within the country. 
and they hold Netanyahu responsible. The fact that he was willing to subject the nation to destabilizing election after election to advance his own political fortunes has alienated many. Moreover, it must be asked, if after elections this November, the fifth elections in less than four years, Netanyahu fails to reach the 61-vote threshold necessary to form a parliamentary majority, will fellow Likudniks stand by their man? Will the ultra-Orthodox parties who have been Netanyahu's most stalwart political allies on the right stay loyal to him? Is Netanyahu willing to take the country to elections yet again, rather than hand the reins of power over to another Likud politician, near Barkat anyone? His right-wing credentials are as unimpeachable as Netanyahu's. How long can a political crisis revolve around the fortunes of a single politician? This seeming willingness to win at any cost will continue to alienate the all-important center-right or soft-right block of Israeli voters. This is where the Israeli political center of gravity sits at this moment in history. Will this block make electoral advances and prevent the Netanyahu government from taking form? How opposed is this group of voters to the alarming growth of far-right religious nationalist voices? Many Israeli polls are showing an upward trend in support for the Kahanist Otzma Yehudi party of Itamar Ben Gvir. And Netanyahu cannot possibly succeed without bringing Otzma Yehudit into his coalition. Can a broad center-right coalition be assembled in Israel? Or will Netanyahu finally cross the electoral threshold of 61 seats with a narrow government composed of the Likud, the ultra-Orthodox parties, and the far-right religious nationalists? This all depends on the performance of that all-important center-right vote. And like most news coming out of Israel, it's rarely boring. I would like to take this opportunity to let my Cleveland listeners know about a wonderful new business that I've partnered with, Cleveland Jewish Funerals. For a very long time, Jewish Clevelanders have only had one option for planning funerals for themselves and their loved ones. Not anymore. Cleveland Jewish Funerals is Cleveland's only Jewish-owned and operated Jewish funeral home. We are not a large publicly traded company listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Rather, we're a Jewish-owned business committed to the mitzvah of Kfura, the honorable burial of the dead. I recently lost my father, and this experience led me to understand how critically important it is to pre-plan a funeral. Don't wait until it's too late. Trust me when I tell you that pre-planning is a remarkable gift to your family on their worst day. Pre-planning ensures that your funeral aligns with your faith and values. Cleveland Jewish Funerals works with all segments of the Jewish community. While my family and I practice Orthodox Judaism at home, my wife Sarah is a Hebrew teacher at the conservative Gros Schechter School and both of us teach Hebrew at the Reformed Temple of Fareth, Israel. You can rest assured that I will be sensitive to your Jewish values. Avoid emotional overspending, lock in prices during this time of runaway inflation, and perhaps most importantly of all, spare your family the difficulty of planning and organizing a funeral when they will need to focus on mourning their kadoshim and supporting one another. To learn more about pre-planning, contact me, Ben Ronsman. I can be reached at 833-216-PLAN or 833-216-7526. You can also email me at bronsman at jewishfuneralsusa.com. You'll be glad you did.